Well, greetings to each one this morning. It is a joy to be with you. It's been a joy to worship with you. It's been a pleasure to have each one here. Some of us, some of our home congregation is missing, and so some of you visitors, you're, we welcome you. Thank you for being here. Well, I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We want to continue our walk through Ephesians. Um, as, we, as we look at and, and think about and study and meditate on the things that the Apostle gives us here I don't know about you, but I have been enriched. I've been blessed. The things that you know sometimes that you read over, when you get into their depths, there's something that enriches your soul about those things that you just read over. And it's, it, it does us good to get into them in depths. So this morning, we want to we go... Uh, we want to go to begin in verse 15, and we're going to go through verse 21. <clears throat> Verses 15 through 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning as we come to your word and as we, we desire your, your will to be made known to us, we ask for your Holy Spirit to open our hearts to receive the truth into our hearts. Lord, we ask not for man's opinion. Lord, keep me from speaking that which I ought not to say. But Lord, I pray that you give me boldness to speak that which I ought to speak. May your word prosper this morning in our lives. We pray for your understanding and for your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we pick this up in the middle of the, of the chapter not only are we in the middle of the chapter, but we're somewhat in the center of the book. We're a little over center. But as always, Paul and his epistles begins with doctrine. And as Paul laid out in the first part of the, of the epistle, he laid out the doctrine of salvation. And what it is that God does. And what God wants us to know about our salvation. And what he wants us to know about us. What he wants us to know about him, what he wants us to know about the church he has brought us into, what he wants us to know about how he builds that church. And now we're looking at practical applications. This is how the people in the church ought to live. This is how they ought to walk. And we're in a in a three part passage, really, uh, in this, in, in this text, we're at the last part of this three-part passage that, that explains to us what sanctification really entails and what it looks like. We talked about in, in, verse, in chapter 5 here, in verses 1 through 7, we talked about walking in love, God's love in God's people, being able to walk in the love that God has given us, and what that does for us, what that means to us, how we're able to put away the foolish talking and jesting, how we're able to put away the sin 
that that is natural to the, the old man. And then in the second part, in verses 8 through 14, we, ta- we saw how that he t- teaches us how to walk in the light. And we're going we're gonna to go into this in, these in a little more depth here later on. But to walk in the light, to allow Christ to shine his light upon us, to reveal himself to us, and to expose who we are. And expose the needs of our hearts. And expose what we should do about them. And how we should handle the issues of sin. The darkness that lies upon this world because of the wicked one. God does not want us to be passive. And to be just uh, tolerant, if you please, of sin in our lives. And neither does he want us just to be... uh, Just, just humdrum, so-so about sin in others' lives. And we have, first of all, responsibility to ourselves. But he says, have no, nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Bring them to the light of the gospel. And for all of us, that's, that's a responsibility that we have. Is that when darkness is found in us, that we bring it to the light. That we bring it to the truth. That's why John says in 1 John 1, he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we, when we have this relationship that we want all our sin to be brought to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want him to cleanse us. Then he says we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The biggest reason man cannot fellowship with each other is because they cannot fellowship with God. Any hindrance in the relationship horizontally goes back to a relationship vertically. And we cannot separate those two. Reason we have wars today, reason we have divisions, the reason there's fighting is simply because man has not found man has lost his relationship with God. He does not have a saving faith in this world except through Jesus Christ and even in Christ. Sometimes those old things, we struggle with them. We have personality clashes. We have cultural clashes. We have issues of of opinions and and how we view things. All these things, they they can tend to to, to nurture uh, strife. But let us note that God in the kingdom of heaven, in, God, in God's realm, in heaven, there's no strife. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning that when God makes his will known in heaven, there's nobody arguing with him. It's, perf- it's his perfect will. It's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do. And, he's, and when we pray, we're supposed to pray that, that that's the way we would respond to the will of God. And when that's the way we respond to the will of God, we will find that we will be able to love our brothers and sisters as God has loved us. And it will bring to the light the truth uh, of him and of us. We come today now to the Christian's walk of wisdom. In the Holy Spirit. And we cannot divorce these three from each other. They all go hand in hand. We try to to take one out of the Christian life or two out of the Christian life. The walk in love, the walk in, in light, and the walk in wisdom. We want to take all of these, any one of these, out of the picture. We don't have the Christian life. Because this is a work, comprehensive work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to I'm going to show you what this means here in a little bit. But let's look, go to verse 15. See then. See then. When he says see then, we need to see what he's saying see then for. It's kind of like the word therefore. What's it there for? Well, that goes back to verse 14 where he says, Awake you who sleep from the dead. I'm sorry. Awake you who sleep and arise from the dead. 
and Christ will give you light. He is saying because of the light of Christ, because of the awakening of the Holy, of the work of, because of the awakening of the soul by Christ to life, that now he says, see then. This is in a reflection of what Christ has done in the life of the believer, that he has raised him to newness of life. There's a brand new life in every child of God. He is not the same old person just reformed a little bit. He's not just remade on the outside a little bit. He is a brand new person from the inside. And he begins to bring that new life and it works its way out. It works its way to what he, from, from how he believes, how he, how he thinks, how he feels, how he, how he uh, wants to do things, to what he actually does, what he actually says, what he actually pursues in his life, what he actually stops pursuing in his life, what he actually stays away from, and what he actually embraces. All these things have to do with going back to the fact whether when, that he's been awakened from the dead and he's been given new life in Christ Jesus. You can't separate the walk from the doctrine. The doctrine and the walk must go together. We have a lot of people that want the walk on the outside. They don't want the doctrine on the inside. And that's a lie. Because they're, 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 they're putting up a fake front. But neither do you want to know all your doctrines and have everything lined up perfectly and have all the answers to all the questions and yet your life is lived in looseness, in sin, and, and in abandonment to, to dissipation, as he says later on here. So he says, we're to... We're to see then that because of this, we are to walk. I've divided this into, actually I've divided this into three, three points. The first one is, so what? He says, see then, so what? What are we supposed to see? Secondly, spiritual change. And thirdly, submissive relationships and thankfulness. Let's begin to look at this. We are to pay attention. See then that you walk. You're to pay attention to the walk. You're to see that you, how you are walking. You're to look and, and behold and to, and to examine and, to, and to, to, to scrutinize what it is that you're doing in life. As a Christian, we are all called to examine ourselves. And that's part of what we do every Sunday as we come here and we break bread we examine the, ourselves, we examine the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're here to, 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 to open ourselves again to his, to his word and to his truth. So he says, see then that you walk. The walk here means to regulate one's life. How you determine what you do. How you live the way you live. How you, the decisions you make. The choices you make. The, the way you think, the books you read. The music you listen to, the movies you watch, the, the places you go, how you regulate these things. There's something inside of you that regulates what you do. There are reasons you don't go places. There are reasons you go places. There are reasons you don't watch things. There are reasons you do watch things. All these things are regulated by somebody and something. So he says, we're to look at the regulation of these and it's to be in, what, in a word that he uses called circumspectly. We don't use that word very often anymore, but it's, it means to be careful, to be diligent, to be precise and exact. It has to do with being responsible. It's a little bit like when a carpenter is cutting a piece of trim. He doesn't take a chainsaw to cut his trim. Because he wants to be careful that it fits exactly right. This is not doing chainsaw work. This is doing trim work. We want to make sure that we get it right. Because how we regulate our lives, 
affects not only us, but everyone else that has a relationship with us. And so when our relationship with Christ is, is one that regulates our life, our relationships will be regulated by the regulation of Jesus Christ. Our, our minds and our thoughts will be taken to the places that Christ wants us to go. And the Holy Spirit is telling us here that we are to walk with, that, with paying attention to how we live. Notice he says, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We're called here to contemplate the direction of our lives. And, and we could go to Proverbs and we could see many illustrations and many, many teachings there that he gives on what makes a foolish person. How does the fool live? Well, the biggest, probably the biggest thing we see is in Psalm 14, where the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And in reality, that, that word there is, is in italics. And it really is, says this in the original, the fool has said in his heart, no God, no God. If he knows that there is a God, or if he, he does know that there is a God, He's saying no to God. And the, so in, in, in reverse, to be wise, to walk in the wisdom of God is just simply saying yes to God, saying yes to his word, saying I'm going to hold hands with Christ. I'm going to hold hands with the truth. I'm going to hold hands with the Holy Spirit, not with Satan, not with the destroyer of our souls, but with the one who loves our souls, the lover of our souls. In, in 1 Thessalonians, if we're going to hold our finger here, let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians verse chapter 1, and we'll go to verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll go to verse 10. And he says this. And we're cutting in in the middle of something here. Uh, for they themselves, back up verse 9, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he did raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath. This is not the, the, I've got the wrong passage here. I'm sorry about that. We're just going to leave that. Nonetheless, the passage I wanted talks about how that we are called by God to conduct our lives as Christ would have us, as God would have us to conduct our lives. Now we are called also to contemplate the direction of our lives. To pay attention to our action and words. Consider the habits we form and govern them by the wisdom of God. In 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 6. 1 John 2 and in verse 6 he says, He who abides in him, that's the one who abides or stays in Christ, lives in Christ, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. This, is a, this has to do with the ought to. When the Holy Spirit deals with us in sanctification, he deals with us in what we ought to do. He brings to full awareness what, he would, what the will of God is for us. And he says here in, 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 in 1 John 2, verse 6, that the one who says, I belong to Christ, I'm a Christian, I am born again, ought to be walking in a manner that follows the pattern of Christ. There ought to be a Christ-likeness about his person. There ought to be a governing of his life by the way Christ governed his life. And so, friends... There's an imitation of Christ here. There's a walking after and a following after Christ. That's what it means to be paying attention, to be circumspect about our lives. 
The word circumspectly means here to live carefully, to not deviate from duty, to be exact, to be accurate, and to be diligent with how we walk. We're not just supposed to just say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I'm saved. I'm on the way to heaven. You know, what happens, happens. We'll just, we'll kind of just go with the flow. We are supposed to think about it. We're supposed to apply some diligence. We're supposed to have our eyes wide open. Sometimes things take us by surprise. Sometimes there are things we didn't see coming. That doesn't mean we should stop looking. We've got to keep looking. We've got to keep seeking to understand what is it that God wants me to do here? How is it that God wants me to handle this situation? How does he want me to deal with this issue in my life? In Galatians 5, in verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Folks, the problem isn't today that we've got sin abounding on all sides of us. That is true. That's not our problem. The problem is that so many people won't walk in the Spirit. They will not be filled full of the Word of God. And so they will be filled with something. They will have something in their hearts. Their minds will be occupied with something. They've chosen to regulate their lives and their minds, their thinking, their their walking, their talking with something else besides the truth. But he says, if you be filled with the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh and the Holy Spirit can't dwell in the same place. You will be a slave to one or you're a slave to the other. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot be one and the other. You're one or the other. And so this morning, I call you to think about your life. Are you paying attention to the direction you are going in your walk of life? Have you sat down and thought about what is this doing to my life? You know, I've, I've, I, I, there are things that I love to do. There are things that I enjoy. But I have to sit down and ask myself, are these things accomplishing the will of God in my life? God wants us to enjoy life, by the way. I don't think he gave us the beauty and the glory and the wonders of this world for us just to snub our nose at them or to turn away and try to live as, as a hard a life and as difficult a life as we possibly can. But he calls us to call into attention the things that we must be looking at in our lives. And so I ask you this morning, have you paid attention to the direction you're going? You can't just be drifting, folks. A live fish doesn't drift. A live fish bucks the current. A live fish swims. A live fish is active. So a live Christian, someone who is a true believer in Christ. Yes, he may fight. He may struggle. And sometimes I understand Christians don't always win every battle. But they need to be fighting every battle. And if you're not fighting the battle, you're for sure not winning the battle. And if you're not fighting the battle, you must question the reality, is Christ really in me? It doesn't mean that that, 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 that there's sinless perfection here. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just asking, have you, which direction are you headed? You know, the the live fish is swimming upstream. The dead fish, fish is floating downstream. They're going in two opposite directions. The the one going upstream may not be making as much progress as he thinks he ought to be, but he's he's headed a different direction. Today, I won't tell you, the sinner may be sitting in the same place as the righteous man, but he's floating downstream, folks. He's got no resistance to the will of Satan in his life. He's got no resistance to the lusts of his flesh. He's got no ability to stand and stand strong in the evil day. He will drift with the stream and he will be going in an opposite direction of the one who knows Christ. I don't care how brand new of a Christian you are. I don't care how weak 
you seem to be, if you're a true believer, God's spirit within you will always be resisting the work of Satan. This is the purpose that Christ came into the world, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we have to understand it's the works of the devil that are destroying us. It is the work of Satan in the lives of people that is destroying them. Are you filled this morning and moved by the Holy Spirit in your life to empower you to change what needs to change? Are you thinking seriously about what you say and do, what you set your mind and affections on, and why you, why you do what you do? Are these things you've taken into contemplation and you've thought about? You see, friends, he, sell, he tells us to set our affection on things above. Best illustration I know of this is that when we become a Christian, our minds are a little bit like a rubber band. And if I had a rubber band here this morning and I held it right here on the edge of the, of the pulpit and I would stretch that rubber band down, I could probably stretch it down. Maybe I could stretch it down to touch this table. But the moment I let it go again, it comes back to its natural resting position, the place where it was set. Likewise, when I stretch it up, it will stretch up, but then it will come back to the natural resting position. Our minds are a little bit that way. Where they are set is where they will go. You may live in this world and you may live in the midst of evil. And sometimes it'll grab you and it'll take your mind down. And you get pulled into places you don't want to be. But because your affections are set on the things of God and not on the things of this world, the moment you have a time to be released from that evil influence, your mind snaps back to the things of God and you embrace the truth of God's word. But I want to tell you, if, you're, if your affections are set down here in the lust of your flesh, you may stretch them every Sunday to come up here and think about the things of God for a minute. But the moment you're out of church and you're released from this, from the godly, any godly influence, your mind snaps back to the lust of your flesh because that's where you live. And I just want to tell you this morning that God calls a Christian to do something that's, that's unique to the Christian and that's set his affections on things above. So that though the world may draw us at times, though it may tempt us, though Satan may push us with all kinds of bad things in our lives, when we have the chance, we come back to the truth of God's word. And there we find our rest and our help. I want to ask you, where is your mindset? When you have no one else pushing you, no one else influencing you, no one else talking to you, no one else getting your attention or nothing else out here that would take your mind somewhere, where does your mind go? When you're really wanting to put your mind where you want to put it, where does it go? That's the test of a believer. That's the test of a believer. He sets his affections on things above. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm just saying where really does your mind want to go? If you find yourself being drugged into the things of this world because that's where you live, then friend, you need to seek a higher calling upon your life. You need to look at what God has done in Christ Jesus. He doesn't save a man to just make him feel good in his sin. He takes him out of his sin. There's a removal from that sin. A new life is created. Lest anyone thinks that this is accomplished by the determination of man, let's look at the context of this passage. <clears throat> Not only are we to pay attention to our walk, but we're to be powerfully motivated and moved by the triune God. This is a movement of God, not of us. And so it's not something that we just do. We're called to act in cooperation with God and with the Holy Spirit working in us, and with the Word teaching us. But we cannot 
We don't have the power in the flesh to do this ourselves. Let's look at it. So we, I told you we were in the last part of a three-part three part section in this, in this passage. Go to, go to chapter 5 here in verses 1 through 7. And he tells us here that we are to be imitators of who? Somebody say it. Imitators of God. God has, is the one who is driving behind us, who's, who's creating the power within us. It is love for God. We talked about that first section, how that God, we love God because he first loved us. And so the motivation and the power comes from a love for God comes from a passion to know him and to be near him, to draw near to him and to walk in nearness to him. You imitate, I imitate the people and the, and the qualities we love. That's why he calls us to be imitators of God. We're just supposed to imitate the one we love, the one we want to be like, the one we want to, to walk after. The one we want to have his blessing on us. Now I just want to tell you if, you, if you, if that fills your heart and your soul this morning, that is the effect of salvation, friends. No man can love God except that God has revealed his love toward him. Nobody has the ability to truly love God unless they have seen God's love for him. Not only are we motivated by God's love for us, but let we go, as we go to verses 8 to 14, we now are directed by the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our walk of life is now given to us in union. We're joined together with Christ. We're made in His image. We're made in His likeness in the Spirit. And it's exposing the light of the Lord Jesus Christ is exposing the truth to us about Christ and about us. We saw how that in John 3, he says that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And he's talking about lost people here. Christ comes to the lost person and the lost person wants to run. Because he gets exposed right down to the intents of his heart. The word of God is that powerful that it, it penetrates down to how you, what you intend to do. What you did and not only what you did, but what you and I intend to do. The light reveals these things. And when the light reveals these things, friends, it is a call for us. To come into agreement and union with Christ. We're to let go of that thing that does not agree with Christ. And that's costly. That's painful. That's, what, that's why Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. When he says take up your cross, he says you take up the instrument of your death. Chris Byler died when... He took up his cross to follow Christ. Everything of my dreams, all of my ambitions, all of my desires, all of my longings of my heart went on the cross for Christ to take over and put his desires there. I just want to tell you folks, yes, you, we die, but he gives back so much more than what we ever thought we gave up. What he gives is a fullness of life in the heart. A rightness of relationship with him and with God. A truth about our lives that cannot be brought in any other way. And, I, and, and we're all called to that, brothers and sisters. We're called to, to, to lay everything down for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we cannot, he says, you cannot be my disciple. 
You know the difference between can and may, right? May is a word of permission. You know, I used to be in school and we'd ask the teacher, may I, can I go get a tissue to blow my nose? And she would say, I'm sure you can, but you may. You know, there's a difference. She just gave me permission. She didn't give me the ability. She gave me permission. But God says, Jesus said in his word, it's not that I'm not giving you permission to come in. It's you cannot. There's no ability there. It's impossible. And that's why, that's why we must understand that the gospel is centered not upon us, but upon him. And what he says he will do is always possible. Even though it's impossible to man, it's always possible with God. But friends, there are things that are impossible. And that's one of them. We cannot serve two masters. That's impossible. We cannot try to follow Christ without being laid down at the cross and crucified in the spirit. Our flesh be nailed to the cross. Well, not only this, but we now come to, to, the, to the last passage. And what do we see here? Not only is it a walk of love with God, a walk of light in Christ Jesus, but in verse 15. I'm sorry. 18, I'm sorry. Yes. We're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to walk in wisdom with the Spirit. The Spirit gives us the ability to be careful, to be discerning, to become wise in regards to sin and in regards to truth, in regards to righteousness, in regards to understanding about how God works in our lives. He is the one who leads us. Jesus said, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. He's the one who will open your minds to show you the things of Christ. Do you, do you see this morning that the whole triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are behind the sanctification of every one of His children? Listen, I want to tell you something. Nothing is impossible if the triune God is involved. If it's according to His will, He will not be stopped. He will, his fire will not be quenched. His power will not be stymied. His truth will not be undone. When we understand that this, this actual, this thing of sanctification that's so mocked and laughed at by the world, this thing that's so misaligned by many religious churches, this, this thing that's so forsaken by so many people today is actually got the power of the triune God in it. It's a glorious thing, friend. It's not just something that we're just to take it or leave it. We had this damning doctrine in this country many years that started several years ago, how that you can receive Christ as Savior, but you don't have to receive him as Lord which means that you get a free ticket to heaven and you don't have to change a thing. Friends, we all have been influenced by that terrible doctrine because it's wormed its way into the churches. It's infiltrated what we think. And we're, today we're, we're willing to, in, in the churches in America, we're willing to baptize people that are living in flagrant, known, unrepentant sin. And they have no conscience against it. We're willing to, to receive them as pastors and teachers and preachers and they, and they are living in rebellion to the word of God. Folks, shame on us. When the triune God has said, here's the place I'm going to put my power is behind the believer who knows me and I will make them holy. I don't believe in this life we ever attain perfection. But friends, there's holiness that comes into the life because God is at work. 
Let's never minimize that. Let's never set that aside. Let's never think our lives are worthless. Let's never think that we're not doing anything. Friends, if we're fighting, we're doing something. Because God, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He doesn't just jerk you around, but he puts the will and the desire and the hunger and the longing to do his will. And that takes growth. Yes, it takes time. Yes, it takes difficulty and trouble many times in our life. But what it yields is more precious to God than anything else that we face. That is the pure goal because that's the work of God. We see many who want to attempt to live the, Christ, to, to live the Christian life and they want to do so without the love of God inside of them without Christ's light and without his truth in them, and without the Holy Spirit's guidance into true wisdom. And it's a false, it's a false thing. Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, you whited sepulchers. You're polished and shining. You look perfect on the outside, but you got dead men's bones on the inside of you. He says, you love to shine up the outside of the cup and the platter, but you're full of filthiness and rot on the inside. Listen, if you give me a cup, I want the inside to be clean of water. I want the inside to be cleaner than the outside. Because that's what I'm going to be drinking. And listen, God wants us to be get cleansed from within with a cleansing that works out. He wants the inside to be the true, the true testimony of what he has done. And the outside grow more and more into the testimony of what he is doing. See, I can't change this. You can't change the status of your salvation. But you can change. But the thing that changes is the growth. The growth that comes after salvation. You can't be more justified than what you are when you become born again. God declares you righteous. You are righteous and you will not be more righteous if you, God gives you another 50 years on this earth and you live faithfully every day for him, you will not be more justified in that day than you are right now if you're a Christian. You will be more sanctified. That sanctification continues progressively and goes on until the day we're made perfect in the presence of Jesus Christ. There are many who will say, that's, this is why Jesus says, there are many who will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done cast out demons? Have we not done many mighty works in your name? And what does he tell them that day? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. Well, I, I'm sure that, that, that they're saying, look, Jesus, we've been in amongst your teaching. We've been in your people. We've, we've lived. We've went to church every Sunday. We've witnessed for you. We prayed. We did all this stuff. But folks, they tried to build a life without the life. They tried to build something without the internal components. And that is the love of the Father. And that is the light of the Son. And that is the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And unless they are resident there, you have nothing. You might as well tear it down and start over. Because what you're building is a, is a fake. <clears throat> well, not only are we powerfully motivated, but we must be purposefully diligent in our thinking. Verses 16 to 18 here. Got to move on. He says that the Christian is called not to be foolish without or without discernment or understanding. In James 3 and verses 13 through 17, we won't take time to go there, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of goodness and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. The true wisdom builds the, the, true, the true Christian life. And there's no hypocrisy when God is doing the work. 
this, this thing of being something different on the inside than what it is on the outside is a work of Satan. It's time that we got real about who we are, about who God is and what he's doing. And it will affect what we ought to do. It will change us in our thinking. Instead of trying to coerce people and try to browbeat them into being holy, we'll give them the word of God. And we'll let the word of God dwell in them richly. And we'll let the Holy Spirit work in their hearts. And we'll work in, let, let the love of God and the light of Christ and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit grip their minds and their hearts. And friends, we won't have to browbeat anybody, and we shouldn't. They will come and they will rejoice in the work of God because God is that way to all who call upon him. Well, not only must we not only must we see to our walk, <clears throat> but there's a spiritual change. There's a spiritual change. Let's begin here, the end of verse 15. Begin to walk circumspectly and not as fools. This this is this is huge. This is huge. God has taken someone who has no ability to please him. And he's made them someone who carefully walks after him. Who loves him. Is diligent about their life with him. Who doesn't resist the wisdom of God. Who doesn't, who doesn't want to go back to the debauchery to the emptiness, to the pain and filthiness that was all of their life. Yes, we have pain in the Christian life. I'm not saying we don't have pain. I'm not saying we won't have suffering. But it works for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory because God is at work with the pain. God is at work with the trouble. God is at work with the adversity. God is bringing wisdom into the life of the believer. And this is why he says we ought to thank him for adversity. We ought to thank him for trouble because of the, the gold that's coming out of the, the adversity and the fire and the trouble is worth more to him than anything on this earth that could perish. He will expend all the gold on this earth to have the pure gold of his gospel bear fruit in someone's life. He'll expend any expenditure to bring that. And he showed that by giving his one and only son. Amen. Not only must we go from fools to walking circumspectly, but we must go from wasting time to buying back time for God's purposes. Redeeming the time. That's what it means, buying it back. Trying to gain it. Trying to get, a, get ahead, get stocked up on it. Trying to make so that we have more time for God's word, for God's purposes, for God's work. It means that we take what we have that's expendable. Time is something we're all given. And we all have a limited amount of it. God has limited our time here because of sin on the earth. Back in the day when Noah was, was before the days of Noah, when God looked at the man upon the earth and he saw their exceeding wickedness, he said, I'm going to limit their life. They're only going to go to 125 years. I'm going to limit it because of the sin that was just growing. That was just amassing huge amounts of murder, rape, corruption, you name it, the, the whole thing filled the earth with vi the violence. Violence filled the whole earth. And God is limiting the violence. Yes, man's heart is still wicked. But he's not giving it the opportunity to go where it would go if he had more time. And so instead of spending our time 
in things that bring absolutely no value to anyone. He says you need to buy that time for the glory of God. You need to save up that time so God can, can be prospered, so God's work can be prospered. Yes, I, I, love, I love having fun. And we all, I, I think we all should spend time it's, it's a good thing to, to do what I call to recreate, to have recreation. We all need that. But folks, how much of our seeking and pursuing pleasure in this world is absolutely worthless? It's like a game and a song that when it's done, it's all over. It's done. It's gone. You see, he's saying buy back that time so that you can invest it into something that is eternal. If you'll put that time into the kingdom of God, you'll invest it into something that builds for eternity. You won't have to be ashamed when you stand before him at the judgment and he inquires of you, what did you do with this time? You'll be, you will be able to look at that time. That will be a part of reward for you because you used that time that God allotted you to build his kingdom. I want every one of you to have the most reward that you can possibly have. I want you to have as much as you can possibly have. Because that's, that's what we're striving for. That's in the Christian life, inside of the, of the kingdom of God. We're striving not just against sin, but we're striving for reward to overcome, to be victors. And so, by God's grace, I want everyone to attain the reward that comes from being faithful and overcoming. God wants us to turn our time into opportunities for his work. The time that, he ha that we have, he wants us, and that's literally what this means here. Turn the time or the season that you have into an opportunity for the gospel. Make the best of what you have. He's not, he may not be calling you to go to Bangladesh. He may not be calling you to stand up here and preach like I do. He may not be calling you to, to do what Terry does and go out on the street and preach. But he wants you to buy the opportunities that you have. Because the kingdom of God is more precious than anything else you're doing right now. The kingdom of God is more valuable in your life than any of, anything that has to do with your job, anything that has to do with your fishing, anything that has to do with your ball playing, anything that has to do with any sports or luxury or whatever it is, the vacation you want to take. The kingdom of God is worth far more to you if you're a believer. It's an intrinsic value on your part with the, with the, with the kingdom that God is building and what he's doing in your life. I want to ask you today, what aligns, I'm sorry, what, let me, it's a statement, not a, not a question. What aligns with God today? What, what, what matches his word today? What squares with it and makes sense with his word will make the most sense for the rest of time and eternity. Sometimes we wonder what we should do, how we should do it, where we should go. How we should we spend our time and our money? If you square with the Word of God, everything that squares with the Word of God will make sense 50 years from now. It'll make sense 100 years from now. It'll make sense in eternity because this Word doesn't change and it doesn't pass away. What God is doing is building something for eternity. The only thing we can do is maybe make something that'll last for the, till the end of the age. And then it's going to all be burned up. And so that's why I tell you, it's, we must buy our time. Well, not only must we change from wasting our time to buying our time, but we must change from foolishness to the understanding what God wants from us. Verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord. You need to know what the will of God is for your life. There's an ought to here. And he says, 
don't be, you're, you're changed from being walking after the foolishness that appealed to you. And now you're going after the wisdom that God is giving you. You're chasing after what God has already done in your life. First Corinthians, first Corinthians two verses 13 to 14, the Holy spirit gives understanding of his will and every believer that has every believer has been given the mind of Christ because the Holy Spirit lives within. So there's an understanding that every believer has. Let's move on. We go to the next one. And we find do not be drunk in the excess with wine in which is dissipation or which is excess, but be filled with the spirit. State of intoxication is a state where we take away a person's ability to think and judge and, and rationalize and, and their, their ability to discern properly. A drunken Christian is not a true example of what godliness is like. And he says, a drunken, you, you participate in drunkenness, you've just thrown away your testimony of the gospel. <clears throat> in fact, he says, also, there's a life that goes with drunkenness. You go from, not only from drunkenness to being filled with the Spirit, but you go from dissipation, which means a life abandoned to seeking pleasures, to just, I want to get out from under the pressure and the, and the, uh, the, um, the struggle that I'm in, the pain that I'm in, I want to I just, just drink myself into oblivion because I don't want to feel this anymore. And when that happens, friends, we, we set ourselves in a course. Not just for one time, but we set ourselves in a place to go back time and time and time again. Proverbs talks about how the, how the drunkard looks into the, out, into the glass of, of wine trying to dissolve his troubles in the glass of wine, and it's not there. I mean, he only wakes up in, from his drunkenness to find that it's worse than it was before. And so he says, you've changed from that lifestyle to one who now worships Christ, to one who is now filled with the Spirit. Instead of being intoxicated with alcohol, you're now filled up with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in you to overflow your life. And what comes out of being full of the Holy Spirit is godliness. All the fruit of the Spirit is godlike qualities. You see how the, di the stark difference between the two and how that one is absolutely worthless in eternity and the other one is of intrinsic value. It is of great value for the child of God. And so I ask you this morning, are you changing or are you wasting away? It doesn't have to be alcohol that you're full of. If you're living a life that is apart from God and you're just abandoning all right judgment to go after something that pleases you and that satisfies you for a short time and that, that seems to take your mind off present distresses and, and, and it's not Christ. Folks, I'm telling you, you're wasting your life and you're wasting away. You're destroying yourself. God wants to build you up and he wants to do it by an overflow of the spirit being poured into your life so that you will bless everyone you have contact with. What happens if I have a full glass of water up here and that full glass gets shaken a little bit? You know, stuff comes out. What is it that comes out? Whatever's in that glass is what comes out. And so when you are full of the Spirit and life rocks you and shakes you up, what comes out? The fruit of the Spirit. When life shakes people up and they get angry and they, and they become another person, why is that? Because what's really in there is what just came out.
that difficulty, that trouble, that adversity didn't change anything. Just revealed what was there. See, friends, when, the Holy, when we're full of the Holy Spirit and trouble comes our way and death comes knocking at the door and we're in pain and we're, we're distraught, the Holy Spirit's stronger than all that. And if you're full of the Holy Spirit, that's what comes out. You'll worship God even though you're in pain. You'll praise Him even though you're crying. You'll worship Him even though you're discouraged because the Holy Spirit is, is, is full and, and, and within you. And it's, it's what Psalm 1 says, the man who's planted by the rivers of living water, his fruit will be born in his season. His leaf will not wither and what he does will prosper. You may not see the prosperity of the spiritual life in this life, but it certainly will bring glory to God and you'll be rewarded in the life to come even if you don't see it here. All right, lastly, submissive relationships and thankfulness. We not only go from, uh, I'm sorry, I missed, I missed one here. We not only go from being drunk to being filled with the Spirit, but from dissipation to, being, to, to singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What comes out is the praise of God. What, what, what is, when the Spirit is within, the worship comes out. The more we're conformed to the image of Christ, the higher our worship will be and the greater our praise and thanksgiving to God. Lastly, we come to submissiveness and thankfulness. The thankful person is a submissive and peace-loving person. We're all called to this kind of submission. To this kind of thankfulness. Thankfulness is first of all a realization that God has given us way over and above what we ever deserve. That we are thankful to him for saving our souls. And then it, and then it goes a, a little deeper because it turns to what should I do because I'm thankful? I ought to be submitting myself to him. You know, Part of our relationship problems is when, we, when we, somebody comes to us with something we don't like. It kind of rattles our chain and, and, and jerks us around a little bit. And we don't like the pressure that's being put on us or being brought out to the spotlight. And we bow up. And we say, I, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with that. And we kind of resist the truth. Even when we, we know it's true, but because it hurt us. We want to lash out and hurt somebody else. You see, we, the submissive person says, I want to receive what God has for me here. I want to look at this thing square in the face. And if God is rebuking me on something, I want to take it and I want to submit to him. You see, submission is not submitting, submitting ourselves to evil. I do not believe for a minute that we ought to be surrendering ourselves to, to do evil. There is, there is that thing of surrendering ourselves just to do whatever anybody asks us to do. I believe we should stand for the truth even if it costs us our very lives. But submission is an act that is something that God brings into our hearts. And we're all supposed to be able to exemplify that. We're all supposed to be, he says, that we are giving thanks in the name of God and we're submitting to one another in the fear of God. That submission to my brother is, a, is an act that I do because I fear God. That means that if he brings some truth to me that I am convicted of, that I submit myself to that truth. And I'm willing to allow him to speak into my life. If we don't have that submission, folks, we can't, we can't expect to be examples of the truth. Because what will happen is we'll become arrogant. We become proud. We become lifted up with our thinking. Well, I realize I've went by on past my time. 
But folks, let's not take this Trinitarian work of God lightly. This is what is fitting for all God's children. God's children are, 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 to be, are, going, are being placed in this work. Are you committed to God's way of sanctifying you? Are you committed to what God is doing in your life through the work of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word and that you have shown us what you do and how you do it and what you intend to do with us. We just commit ourselves to you for the work of your spirit and your word to do its work. Be with us, Lord. Keep us from the evil one and keep us for yourself that we may glorify you yet more fully.